0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Narcissist Podcast. I'm your host, the Mindful Narcissist, and this is part two of the last soulmate chat on embracing how much our beliefs and the way we tell the story around them can change over time. So I'm just going to remind you to listen to the last episode for part one, and uh, here we go. What is your curve of religiosity from a young age?
1: (laughs) So... The earliest thing that I can because I've been thinking about this. So, my therapist was like, tell me everything you can actually remember about your childhood, because how much do you remember? And I was like, not much. So she tasked me with the exercise of like trying to write shit down that I do remember. And a lot of what I remember is not real memories, it's stories about memories. So I was older and was told a story about something that had happened before, and then I think I remember the thing that happened. But really, I just remember being told the thing. Which thankfully people decided to tell me a lot of stories about things that had happened because I got nothing. And so the earliest thing that I can remember about my relationship with spirituality is my grandmother telling me a story about when I was like three or four. I was in the car with her and the way she told it to me as a teenager was you were asking detailed and challenging questions about Jesus. And you hadn't been saved yet, but you had things you wanted to know. And I was crying and blah, 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 you know, like, oh, she's gonna be, she's gonna have a relationship with Jesus. And like, cool, grandma's real proud. So that's my first memory. I was saved at five or six and then got zero understanding of what that meant, was not in church regularly until I was 18. So I have like a wild faith because I had to develop my understanding of God separate from my understanding of the church because I wasn't in the church, but I knew God was real. And I needed to work with that. And so my understanding of God was almost as a coping mechanism to the childhood trauma that I experienced. I was terrified there was nowhere to go for any kind of comfort. And so he was the only not abusive authority in my life because he wasn't anything. He was just very neutral. Like we had no, he wasn't being presented to me in an abusive way yet. We, We hit that later on, but
0: you got a blank slate God. I got a blank slate God. Nice. And I don't
1: think that exists anymore. Like I feel like I got a very unique understanding and I was able to define that relationship on my own terms and have a very solid understanding of it before I hit being in church. And I think that's why I act different and operate differently or think differently than most church people, because I had like battlefield God, I guess, but like hi, my whole life's falling apart and you need to do something because I'm going to die right now. Like, I'm in, I'm afraid, I'm in pain, like show up. And so my first memory of having like an encounter with the divine, so to speak, was after I was coming out of surgery. So I'm 13 by that point, coming out of major surgery and on a lot of drugs, granted, a lot of drugs, but I came out of surgery. And by that point, I was already dealing with enough that I was like, why am I alive? And there was zero actual chance that I was gonna die. Like, I was not- we were not operating on a major organ. We were- I did not have cancer. Like, my life was not ending But I was 13, and so my life was ending all the time because I was 13. And I remember laying in the bed and going, well, if I'm still alive, there must be some reason for that. I must exist for a reason. And I felt like that was the first time I ever like felt God in the room, so to speak. Like that's the religious language put around that experience. And I know I was on drugs, but I don't think it was the drug, which is what everybody on drugs says. But I don't think it was the drugs. I, I very much think that that like happened. And so that was like my formational moment where I was like, well, cool. Well, at least you're here in this in this moment with me. Like you've decided that I'm supposed to be here, which then started my quest for purpose, which is, ugh, that's a podcast on its own. But I was trying to figure out like, Why, why am I here? There must be something about my life that makes it worth enduring all of this. So what do you want from me? But not in like a bad way of like, why are you asking from me? But like, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm interested because you obviously have some plan. So I went through teenage, really kind of relapsed a little bit. Didn't really do a whole lot of the spiritual thing at all. Kind of went to church with grandparents. But at that point, by the time we're in high school, the way that religion was being presented to me was also deeply mixed with politics and was deeply mixed with racism and was deeply mixed with extremism and was deeply mixed with bullshit. And this was like pre-Trump. So pre-Trump, but a lot of like the things that became very popular around Trump, like those dynamics. And I felt gross around those things. I was like, this ain't it. I don't know what it is because I'm not really in church, but I know that's bullshit. But because I wasn't in church, I had the freedom to just trust my gut when things. I was like, that's weird and i could just assume it really was weird instead of being conditioned in a way that said and that all that all came later um but without being conditioned in a way that i had to doubt my own gut i didn't get that until later in the religious aspect and so i met a guy and unbeknownst to me he was the son of a pastor in the denomination for which i now work And he had the guts and I respect him for it to this day. I don't respect him for a lot of things, but I respect him for this. He invited my mom to church. He wanted me to go with him. And he invited my mom so that I could go because I was still in high school. And my mom was so overwhelmed by the fact that someone was inviting her somewhere, especially by that point that she she came and she went until I got old enough to have a driver's license about five to six months later. And as soon as I got my driver's license, she never went again, she was done. She got into some weird other thing. She's she's on her own spiritual journey. I don't think it's a good thing for her, but that's, that's like, she went and tried to find a version that had give me a very clear checkbox to my salvation because I don't have any love or belief in myself. And I need it to just be a checkbox. I need this to be formulaic. I need this to be not about me. Like, let me just earn it. That's all she wants right now. And so it's like she's going back to really old traditions and really old stuff, like trying to find like the answer. She's also very into conspiracy theories. We'll just leave that there. So I start going to church and the major issue that I've come across from my life in religious spaces is the pressure to not be estranged. That is the rub with most religious people in me. They want to fix it. They want it to look right. They're looking for some great restoration story because God heals and blah, blah, blah. And like, I have had every, everything in the book thrown at me about how and why and when and what I should do about my family. The only thing that has not been thrown at me in a religious space is I respect your decision. We have not gotten that. The person counseling me at that church was the aunt of the boyfriend. And she was problematic in a lot of ways. And there was pressure to reconcile and there was kind of issues between her and the parents and so there was like a little bit of animosity there but like there was just a lot there so ultimately you counseled me into breaking up with that man and my first understanding of like patriarchy was him going well god said you're my wife so you'll come back and i was like well well Spoilers, I've been married for uh, four plus years to a very different man. I did not, in fact, come back. And I did, in fact, write the best roast email to this child.
0: And it was really so good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
1: I feel very validated. I'm pretty sure I read it out loud to you or made you read it before I sent it and then after I sent it, because I was just very proud of it, because it was the first time I'd ever like clapped back at somebody besides my parents and been like, look, bitch, you will never speak to me again in this manner. I am not reserved for you.
0: I feel like I heard it at least three times. Like, I think there were three drafts, maybe. Because
1: that was that same Christmas break, wasn't it? Wasn't that the Christmas break?
0: I think so. I feel like
1: it... I don't know why I feel like it was, but I feel like it was.
0: All important things happened. In that one break. Two weeks. Three weeks.
1: (laughs) So it was, you know, well, God said... And I was like, well, I'll still go to the church. You know, I'm still cool with a lot of people. Half of them then tried to date me. And so it was very much about, there's a hyper fixation for young people in churches about certain life stages, relationships, sex, what you do career wise, marriage, family, blah, blah, blah. Because I was estranged, I already didn't fit properly. And people kept trying to, refine the edges off of me to make me fit in the category or in the the life path of what a good christian girl should do problem is i was already independent living on my own working three jobs had a college degree was going to do my own thing like i was harder to control i think and so eventually i left that church and unbeknownst to me ended up at a church of the exact same denomination on accident did not seek it out either time again the denomination i work for. And I wanted to belong there because their whole thing was this is church for the rest of us. This is where the misfits come. And I'm like, oh, cool, that's me. I can be here. This will work for me. And I felt so excited to finally fit somewhere. And so I went there from 21 to 25 and ended up with a completely broken heart because it was better. The first couple of years, I got a lot a lot of really good stuff, a lot of learning, a lot of growth, a lot of healing, a lot like I got what I was looking for and something shifted. And we're sitting here afterwards trying to figure out how much of it was there the whole time and I was just blind to it and we were just blind to it, how much shifted over time. It was a mix of the two. And part of that is just learning to forgive yourself for not seeing the danger signs when you want something so badly. But something shifted about halfway through before the pandemic. And there were just some of these other major dynamics that I had an issue with about the urgency, and I think you interact with this too within the Mormon framework, the urgency of we have to sacrifice everything about our personal lives to save souls and your time, your energy, if you're doing anything else, you could be doing these other things. They tried to pretend that they were holistic and that they cared about all of the areas of your life. They didn't where I was. They didn't. And that got more and more and more and more starkly apparent as we came into the pandemic and you know, eventually we split ways. There just were these issues of like, The church struggles with the answer no. They do not know how to respect no. They do not know how to respect space. They do not know how to respect, like there's certain things that I think institutionally the church as a whole of all flavors struggles with and consent is one of those things. Mm -hmm. There's 500 directions that can go. There's a lot of pain and a lot of things around that. But I think that's one of the major root issues of why so many of us have left is we wanted to say no or we did say no and it wasn't respected in a variety of contexts. Eventually, that happened one too many times—not in any sexual way to me, um, in any way—but in about my time, about my energy, about stuff like that. I was diagnosed with a chronic illness during that time. I was walking through a lot of trauma and grief during that time, and we got to the point at the end where once again, it was about you need to comply a certain way, don't listen to your gut about a lot of different things, and you ultimately your healing is to get you to the point that you can reconcile. And I'm old enough now that. If someone tells me to reconcile with my family we're done but i it took me a long time to get to that point and to trust myself that i wasn't a horrible person i'm really excited to be there now because if someone comes up to me one more time i feel so unfortunate for that person because they are going to get the unleashed rage of like the last seven years where i've never been able to stand up for myself and i'm just so sorry in advance whoever that happens to you like it wasn't really you that's always been the issue that ended up being the guiding light for me of like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I know I don't have a lot of church background, I don't understand all this stuff, but I do know that that's not right for me. Mm -hmm. And so if you're pushing me to go that way, we're having a misunderstanding. And either you're not trying to understand me or you're hearing the things I've told you about what I've experienced and you're like, yeah, you should go back to that. Because quote, you're an adult now, so if it gets bad, you can just leave. And I'm like, it will get bad, why should I go? And nobody can give me an answer to that except in some way unspoken it's expected. Like, this is what it means to be, this is what you should be striving for. And I'm like, the final breaking point for me with organized religion was the underlying message that that's what I should be striving for. And the realization that it's not, and it will not be, and I'm not going to get to that point. Cause for a long time, I really thought as soon as I heal enough, I'll want to, I don't, I am healed enough and I don't want to, and I'm never going to want to, uh, because the only thing being healed enough did was allow me to process my anger for the first time I like skipped that stage of the grief cycle. It's like step two. I'm on like step four and it is now step four. Everything else moved up because it was so repressed for so long. And so I think while I didn't get a lot of the organized religion experience as a child, I got a lot of the organized religion expectations about the way I was going to live my life, about the way I was going to dress, about the way I was going to date, about the way who I was supposed to be as a woman, about how, because I've always been too loud and I've always been too blunt. And it has horrified religious people from the beginning of my life, and it probably will to the day I go to the, to the grave. And so my like grandmothers were trying to make me more feminine and make me less intense and make me less sharp, I think is the only word I can use for it. But like I could never be that. And I feel like this is the first time I'm having any kind of a normal experience with religious people. And it's going really well in a lot of ways. like. My no is respected. And when I say things, I am trusted because I'm older now and I hold a different level of authority and I hold a different level of trustworthiness than I did because I was seen as inherently untrustworthy. And when you're covering in traditional religion is your father or your family and you don't have it or you've stepped out of it, you're immediately seen as suspicious. But people wouldn't have been able to verbalize that to me, but they definitely felt it. It was definitely a dynamic I was aware of and I was viewed differently and treated differently in situations where it was something that was known about me and so being in a situation where it's not really super known like a couple people kind of know but like i've never told the story in this group of people which is great i'm having like a normal experience and i just i don't know i don't know i'm deconstructing i am reconstructing in a very different way than i thought i would ultimately I don't think I align with them well enough to lead there. I'm not the person who can take you where you need to go. I definitely think we have those people and we just need to develop like my job is to develop those people and give because a lot of them struggle to speak not in like public speaking but like they don't trust their own voice and if there's one thing I'm very good at it's getting people comfortable with their own voice and comfortable giving their opinions and so I'm nurturing like three or four different people right now of like push back push back harder give your opinion. Don't just make me give my opinion because we all have heard my voice quite enough by this point like it's your turn it's your turn it's your turn it's your turn let's go my relationship with the divine has also been my relationship wrestling with the idea of purpose hmm. and that's a really complicated place for me because it was so easy to think well oh well obviously this is what i was created for like look how cleanly it fits in this box like organized religion and i'm working for jesus and like oh my god and when that got pulled out from under me and i was like nope this isn't it either and i think each i was created for each season that i was in and i was able to do good things in each season that i was in and you know like not that if it's not the thing that it's not a good thing but knowing that like oh this isn't like the answer to that ultimate question you've been asking like I i spiraled for a couple weeks and i'm now back to asking the question of like well if not this what and that's a really like that cycle is a really interesting subcycle for me of religion and the way it's impacted my life. And that's like the major thing that changed, I think, from the time I recorded to now. What I've realized is I have more faith than I've ever had in individuals. I have seen more beautiful examples of actually, you know, traditionally religious people not being dicks and actually being phenomenal examples. I have the least amount of faith in systems that I've ever had. And so my big question and what I'm wrestling with right now is where do individuals become a critical mass that is a system? Where is the blurry line between where that shifts over from individuals to systemic? And I don't know, and I don't think any of us really know, and I definitely don't know in this context. I feel the most comfortable exercising spirituality in the context of individuals. Working with individuals, being in community with individuals, seeing the good in individuals. I struggle deeply with systems. At what point have systems done so much harm that repairing them is less helpful than starting fresh? How do we balance the requirement to address the harm that we've done and to repair that on top of changing where we're going? Long term from here, I don't know what my relationship with spirituality looks like. And I don't think it'll ever not be a part of me because it's deeply ingrained in just the way that i see the world in the same way that it's deeply ingrained in the way you see the world even though we use wildly different language to to describe that kind of the same idea and so it will always deeply be a part of me in the way i navigate the world but how i identify what i practice what spiritual and religious practices like that's all on the table for the first time and that's terrifying and it's like if i don't have kids cool Because there's a whole layer to that conversation I never have to engage. If I do have kids, how are you going to raise them? And what are you going to tell them is true? And blah, 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 blah. Like, it would be easier not to. It would just be easier not to. (laughs) And so I'm enjoying the bliss of not having a child while trying to make these decisions. Because it's helping me a lot to have time. So that's also answering the question of, well, what's changed from November to now? and how, So, you know, I just predicted half the questions and answered them in, in one go.
0: I know, which is great because I was like, mm, "Am I gonna be able to remember all the questions?" But I think it's interesting, um, your job kind of being that sterile tie to religion right now, because mm-hmm. I I kind of feel like that's something I've done for myself because I'm very consistently drawn to religious spaces still. Yeah, I go to church with people all the time. All the time, but it is church, which actually also on that note. <laughs> in defense of you, like, not saying what was there, like, I went to church with you a couple times, I'm very attuned to red flags, and I wasn't really getting them, so I don't know that it was always there. I think it's something that developed
1: over
0: time, like, maybe the power gone to head thing or something, which I feel like is, tends to be what happens with churches that want to get bigger. (laughs) I think that for me, kind of going to church with people in places that I have really no connection to at all has been a strong way for me to, like, kind of, in some ways, stay in tune with my own spiritual. Yeah. Because it's it's the right kind of space. Yeah. But I'm, I'm so disconnected from what's actually going on there that I can just really Enjoy. be there in my own space.
1: Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. I never thought about that. that yeah, no, you're completely right. Well, options going okay. forward. Hey. I'm finding, like, weird little solutions like that. Like, how do I maintain the ritual that I do feel is important without sabotaging my values or doing something because I feel like I'm supposed to, but not having it reflect what I actually feel is appropriate. We're getting there. I feel like our relationships with religion have changed so, so much. And I remember, God knows, years ago, whenever we had this conversation, not this conversation, but a conversation once where we're like, wow, this is so funny. Like we're totally the opposite of each other. It was interesting is listening to this conversation we're not the opposite at all. Like we're very much in the same place. We just use different language. And I'm like, how did we, what, huh? We thought we were like polar opposites. And in some way at that point we definitely were. Cause I was very much like in the religious rhythm of like weekly stuff. But I feel like now we've both migrated from the poles, and we're somewhere in the middle, but like somewhere relatively like still very different, but relatively in the same hemisphere. Which i don't think either of us would have ever thought we would be three years ago and i find deeply entertaining
0: i think the most surprising thing for me is that i never would expect would have expected that i would come to a place where i still actually felt spirituality was very important like i think that's an extremely important like human i agree thing human striving human need and the fact that even though oftentimes i am still hesitant to like put spiritual language around it yeah. because it's easily misunderstood and also like yeah. I have a lot of baggage with the, that language Definitely. but like the fact that it is extremely important to me right now to be able to articulate and find my own relationship with that I think I never I never would have seen that I would have yeah. seen just heading further and further away from it yeah of coming back to it in my own way because I think I do need it and I want yeah. to But again, on my own terms fully.
1: Right. And that's just a fascinating place to be because I feel like you had to do a lot of work and reflection to land there specifically. Like you didn't just wake up one day and be like, this is where I'm at. Like that took time and that took consistent reevaluation in a way that's really cool. And I feel like I'm coming to sort of the same general place, but in a completely different way, completely different motivation, completely different strategy. For me, it's, I know that there is this core part of myself that I've developed from a very early age that has this deep and gut understanding of my relationship with my spirituality and with my understanding of the divine. And those things haven't changed. And I've added layers and taken away layers and changed layers and moved layers, and all of those things. And my understanding has refined and changed over time. But ultimately, I don't feel like I've changed. I feel like everything has changed around me. Or my, like, I've then suddenly been exposed to, like, organized religion and gone, whoa, 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 like, I don't understand. And so I'm coming back to a place of I need to ensure that I don't just build towers anymore based on foundations of things that I I don't fully, fully feel comfortable with. I can't make compromises in my understanding of what it means to be human and what it means to be spiritual and what it means to be religious and what it means to be, you know, all those things. But I never... Believed that I was trustworthy enough of a narrator to decide that for myself. And I'm coming to a place where, and I think we're both coming to a place where we're trusting ourselves as the narrators for the first time, like really deeply in one of the most important kind of personal areas. Like we're allowed to take up space and have opinions and talk and say, no, this is what we're doing. And I definitely, this is very new for me. I think you might be a couple steps ahead of me in this area, but it's interesting to watch that process. I think.
0: And I think that this allowing and embracing of changing our minds and changing the way we tell that narrative, like, I feel like that's the biggest sign of like trusting ourselves to be creators. Finally, is that a shifting narrative is okay. It's still true. It's all still true.
1: Yeah. And we've sort of let go of a lot of black and white thinking and a lot of binary thinking. And allowed ourselves to find the messy, complex, harder to navigate, harder to, you know, make three points out of and have a you know good social media quote sermon. Like that's not satisfying. And it hasn't been satisfying in a long time. Because I, I think the thing that you have about spirituality that the church needs is the approach of careful, consistent reflection. And the gentle erosion and the gentle building up and the gentle processing, like that's all missing. And I feel like that's one of the most authentic to what a god would probably wish for us that I've seen. And it makes the most sense and it feels the most intuitive. It feels right. And like in long in history, there have been practices that center that type of approach in a variety of really like this isn't new. But it feels like it's been forgotten in our generation. Like it's not, if I hear one more really intense upbeat worship song, like the whole criticism of worship music right now, which I know is different between evangelical and Mormon, is we are only learning how to emote or process a couple of emotions, a couple of key emotions, and grief and sadness and loss and sitting with space and processing, and that's not there in the idea of what it means to like worship God or in the way of coming to God because the whole thing is like this is to prepare your heart to receive and to come to Jesus not in like a salvation-y way but in the like come into his presence kind of a way but we're basically saying you can only come into his presence with like one of two emotions and it's either joy or overwhelming like I'm gonna believe anyway like, I, like grit I guess <laughs> and I feel like God is the least interested in joy and grit joy in the way that it's being presented in that like I think he's very interested in joy as a as a thing but like because in any actual relationship if somebody started every conversation by like screaming about you and how great you were you'd feel a little uncomfortable like that would be a little bit awkward. It'd be a little weird. And so I just imagine that God feels just like minorly awkward and he's like cool appreciate it but also we can talk like regular people like you can we can You can actually tell me what's going on instead of just telling me that you believe that i'll fix it without actually telling me what's going on or how you're feeling about that or like this is like my entire thing and that for me represents such a reflection of the way that we approach the divine just in organized religion and that is the thing that i feel like you are the polar opposite of and that you model a way of engaging that doesn't sanitize it And like strip away the only actual helpful parts of it. Because those are like, the that's not fucking helpful. And we hit the end of what that can provide and then go, where's God? Why can't God meet me in this place? Why don't I have the tools to navigate this thing? And it's like, because we were never given the tools. And instead of stopping, which is where most people would stop, you went and developed the tools on your own, found your own language, found your own practices, found your own stuff, and then redefined what your spirituality meant to you. And how you planned to engage in it in a way that felt authentic fulfilling and helpful
0: and it's not one dimensional anymore because i think the problem with like that joy is it it's a one dimensional
1: positivity yeah yeah it's like coerced in a way and i just i don't know i feel like cognitive dissonance is where i'm struggling so much because it's like technically you know you believe that your your god can knows everything already and knows our hearts before we even say it right so what exactly is the purpose of an exercise to create toxic positivity and like whitewashing of our real emotions and like you're not fooling anyone if you actually believe these things like wh- what do we gain what is any like who decided that this was actually helpful to anyone it's so confusing to me and so it's like those levels of just basic cognitive dissonance where i'm like what are we telling people to do?
0: I think a lot of the thinking around, like, toppling systems involves kind of building a new system to topple the old system. Yeah. But also I kind of think, like, inevitably, it's going to grow to become the same kind of thing. Yeah. Like, all these things, I think, just have to be broken down into small, small communities. Yeah. Because... You know, while the, you know, the joy of worshiping God in those spaces, like, is a one dimensional thing. At the same time, in that kind of space, that size of a space, if you were to all bring everything to the table, it just kind of would become like this complaining, whining fest. That's not really helpful to anybody either. But that's what it ends up being on that scale. Right. So it just needs to be brought down. And then you're in a small enough space where joy can be genuine or sorrow can be genuine yeah not turn like because both of those things on that large of a scale joy and sorrow i think become toxic yeah bring it down and then that's where it can become real and helpful to people balance in all things
1: i hold these certain random ass things as like universal truths or, like, I have these little sayings or these things that I've... That I don't that even know if they're specifically religious, but I, like, believe them with the level of intensity that I would believe, like, a religious thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you do that. I feel like you kind of do, but on different things. But, like, when we're, like, yes, and balance and all things, and we're, like, this is a general way that the world operates and that I need to be aware of, because when I'm in alignment with this thing, it helps. And when I'm not in like, those things. And I feel like we both have a list of those things, but I've never thought about, like... When they come across my mind, I'm like, yes, this is one of those things. But I could not tell
0: you what's on that list. Balance in all things. Time is a construct. (laughs) And I don't know what else.
1: I hold this one very, very dear. And I'm like, I am capable of making anything grow. And my responsibility with that gift is to ensure that I don't make the wrong things grow. Like to be very, to not just pour that out everywhere and to be very like careful about how I use that. Yeah. and I don't know where I picked that up like I definitely believe it's true and I definitely believe it's one of the like the most guiding principles of my life of like you have a very big gift and you can do anything with it so please be careful because there's some shit that does not need to grow that's one of those things that I'll navigate for the rest of my life I feel like we are creating our own canons and we are collecting these things through our experiences and deciding like this is the thing that we believe is true about the way the universe works or about the way the divine works or we work or whatever but I feel like that's interesting in some way. And like the ritual element of that in the way that we do those things is interesting. And I can't put language around how we got there or why we're like that. I feel like that's an intersection of trauma and religion and like certain habits that we just repurpose to suit us.
0: See, I think I think the reason that I do think these kinds of things are important to have on a podcast mm-hmm. is that I I can't think that it's it's not it can't be that un- it can't be unique to us but people don't talk about it and they don't name it and i think that that means it probably isn't serving them as well as it could be either if it's not being talked about not being named so i think we've just learned to articulate these things or we have the luck of having found each other yeah both fascinated by the these same issues in our lives yeah and so we want to talk about it and we Always talk about it a lot. Talk about it. It's it's constant theme, yeah, in our conversations, and you know, I don't think everybody is that lucky necessarily, and so it's just it's happening, but it's not conscious necessarily, and it maybe isn't being utilized to its full potential either because of that. Yeah,
1: and I think sometimes hearing other people talk about it gives permission like once you hear it being discussed it's okay to talk about it yourself Mm -hmm. it's okay to engage in that conversation yourself especially if there's any like religious shame around like well am I allowed to even do these like I don't know maybe hearing other people put language around that might free people up in a way to embrace that conversation within themselves because ultimately I feel like that can be distilled down to what is your gut saying what has your gut learned about the world what have, you, what have your experiences and your understanding taught you? And some of that you'll be like, oh, well, I have created this version that is a lie that I need to deal with in therapy. And some of that will be like, these are deeply fundamental things that help me understand and navigate. Either way, you'll get a better sense of what's guiding you and you'll be able to then make informed decisions about how you navigate those things. You're not just stuck with them being these unnamed, like motivating forces. Mm-hmm. I think that that process because the biggest thing that organized religion strips is the ability to listen to and trust your gut and being able to give people any part of that back or permission to have any part of that back would be a delight because i feel like you gave me that back like you're the one that said you are allowed to do this thing and i was like like it was a whole thing because i had never met anybody who listened to their gut and respected their own sense of self like that was novel to me and as soon as you're like this is a thing you can do I'm like oh shit and then started doing it but I'm evangelical and so there's always the deep um, existential fear that I'll get it wrong when I die and that then I'll be like oh shit maybe I should have soaped my bible and done all this stuff and like which I don't actually believe is true but it's just that like reflexive fear because yeah. it's been ingrained for so long and I'm like existential dread is not a good reason to follow any particular practice this is not a motivating factor existential dread is not a good reason to
0: like (laughs) blank slate god is a chill dude this is my thought this is my thought like
1: he wasn't weird when i talked to him (laughs) why is he weird now (laughs) why is he so weird when you guys talk about what's happening
0: Thank you for coming along for another chat, and as always, thank you to my wonderful soulmate for joining me again. You can sign up anytime before the end of the month if you want to get in on March's issue of The Mindful Narcissist Zine. I'm continuing to explore writing and film photography right now with the zines, and I'm really happy with how they're turning out. You can also sign up to be a general patron if you just like the podcast and want to offer some support but not receive a zine. Both tiers are four euro 50 or five US dollars, and the link is patreon.com forward slash The Mindful Narcissist. You can follow me at Caitlin W for daily Mindful Narcissist content and reminders and announcements about the podcast. As always, like, share, review, all that good stuff. And my DMs are always open. I will see you next week for another chat. Mwah!